The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of First United Methodist Church in Beaumont, Texas. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to love your city with the heart of Christ. As king, Christ commands our ultimate responsiveness and promises complete victory. As King Christ commands our ultimate responsiveness and promises complete victory. This year, more than most, I've been, I've been curiouser about the celebration of Christ the King Sunday. I thought it was something the church had always done, but we haven't. It wasn't until 1925 that Pope Pius XI instituted the celebration of Christ the King Sunday. And he did so at the last Sunday of October. And it wasn't until 1970 that it was moved to the last Sunday of the liturgical year the Sunday before the beginning of Advent. So five weeks before Christmas, in, in churches that, that follow closely the liturgical year, it is Christ the King Sunday. And, and Pius's intent to establish this celebration was, was in response to what was happening in the world. 1925, post-World War I, the Roaring Twenties, prior to the Great Depression in, in, in the States, and, and less and less respect for the authority of government. Less and less respect for the authority of the church. And Pius's hope was, was that, that he would help the church declare its separateness from the world with Christ as its one true king and that people within the church would live counterculturally owing their ultimate responsiveness to Christ and living into the complete victory that, that God promises to bring through Christ. As United Methodists, we, we, we used to call the time from the end of August to this Sunday, Kingdom Time. And, and our focus in worship was, was on the work of the people in the midst of the world to live into that ultimate responsiveness and complete victory that Christ commands of us and, and really brings to us as gift. Now, if I were planning the lectionary, I would have not saved myself consternation like the lectionary planners did. Because the lectionary planners left out verse 38, where Pilate responds to Jesus and says, what is truth? 
I shared that with the, with the choir, and, and one of the choir members said, that sounds like a question for law professors of law students. I don't know what that meant. But, but and, and, and I might have chosen a different passage altogether. The triumphal entry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is the proclamation of the Davidic kingship right there before us. I might have chosen the temple tantrum, cleansing of the temple, and running the world out of God's house. Maybe, maybe a resurrection appearance. Maybe Revelation 21, where we say together with the church and the people of God, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Maybe I would have chosen a passage like Philippians 2 that des describes Christ as servant slave king who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God as something to be grasped but humbling himself gave up his throne to become human and being born in human form he surrendered himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross but I'm stuck with this conversation between Pilate and Jesus where Pilate says so you're a king and Jesus responds to say you say I am a king which in the Roman world was rebellion, it was insurrection, it was sedition, it, it, it was treason, it was punishable by death. Jesus then said this, For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asks the existential question, what is truth? I find the setting for this to be truth in the larger story that includes this passage of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. In, in the larger story, uh, uh, according to John, Jesus has just come from Caiaphas and been led to Pilate. And, and the religious leaders would not go into the praetorium, the, the headquarters, because they did not want to be defiled. They did not want to profane themselves and thereby missed the celebration of Passover. And so Pilate came out to them to try to appease them. And then he goes back and we hear this conversation. Jesus says this, for I was for this I was born and for this I came to the into the world to testify 
to the truth. This is the testimony of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and promised return in final victory. In his death, Christ conquered death. Last week I had the occasion to drive for a good while and one of my favorite things to do while driving is, is to pop in the CDs that tell dramatically the stories of the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, Aslan, the great lion, the Christ figure, gives himself as innocent sacrifice for Edmund, one of the four sons of, and, of Adam and daughters of Eve, who was to be a king, Edmund had betrayed them to the white witch. And the white witch's reign was to make it always winter, but never Christmas. Now in Southeast Texas, we don't really get what that means. Because <laughs> it's never winter. But in Narnia, under the White Witch, it was always winter and never Christmas. And because Aslan gave his life, he, he, he says it this way, there was a deeper magic. And, and, and as we listen to that story, every time we hear the word magic, we can substitute in our language the word grace. There was a deeper grace. And, and in this act of self-sacrifice, Aslan loosed the power of victory over the White Witch, ending her reign and ushering in the restoration of Christ Christmas. Complete victory. John of Patmos wrote it this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new write this for these words are trustworthy and true what is truth this is true we know it to be so as followers of christ who brings us complete victory so let's turn to ultimate responsiveness Jesus said to Pilate, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And we have heard the truth that Christ brings complete victory. 
And so in responding to that, we know that we belong to Christ and we are here in this world as Christ was to testify to the truth. That's all a testimony is, that we tell what we know to be true about God's love and grace. Amen? When's the last time you told somebody? I mean, if we're going to talk about testifying to the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, when was the last time you told somebody the truth about God? You see, listening to God's truth leads to hearing it. Hearing it leads to letting it soak into our being, letting it soak in to our heart, soul, and mind leads us to responding. And responding to God's grace leads us to the work of the people. If you will say, we are the people. We have work to do. So, so here's, here's how Paul names that for us in Ephesians chapter 4. He, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. That means that we are, as we stand before God, by God's grace, we're to measure up to the love, life, death, resurrection, the ministry of Jesus. Think that's a tall order? <laughs> when I looked in the mirror this morning to get ready for the day, I, I knew it was. But do you believe this to be true? The one who created all creation is at work in us and among us to bring about this very truth. That's what Pastor Severio proclaimed last week that perfection is actually fulfillment and completion, that, that when we are perfected in love, we know that Christ alone is sufficient for everything, for us. And, and our responsiveness to Christ depends on nothing else in all the world. We are fulfilled and complete. This is how Paul continues and finishes that passage. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. We say as a congregation that we are in the heart of the city to love the city with the heart of Christ. Well, Christ is our heart. Some of us might be the tendons in the knee. Some of us might be the muscles in the arm. Some of us might be the wisdom of the mind. 
Paul says, as we do the work of the people, we build each other up in love. And in, in building each other up, we, we respond to Christ. So, so how do we do that? Our new Bible reading plans are out for December. And on the back side of the plan, we're going to be reading through Galatians and Ephesians, the birth narratives of Christ in Philippians and Colossians. And there are several selahs in there. The, the planned breaks, the, the breathing moments that we find in the Psalms. It says this on the back. With the concentrated busyness of this particular month in our particular society, the act of intentional rest is countercultural. The act of intentional rest is countercultural. Have you ever wanted to be a rebel? Sure. All my life. <laughs> <laughs> the poster child of rebelliousness. Then rest. Take a deep breath and let the busyness of this world do what it does and breathe. And say, you know, today I'm not going to be commanded by the busyness of this world. I'm going to rest and be restored in Christ so that the testimony I bear of God's final victory will ring true in the lives of the people who know me and the lives of the people whom I encounter. I, 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 I was at a service provider and, and it was my first time there this, this past week and I dropped some things off to be tended to and, and the owner explained to me that, that sometimes when things are dropped off they're not well tended to before they get there and he can only do what he can with what is dropped off. And I, I looked at him and I, I said, I'm, I'm going to be your best customer. He said, what? I said, we're not going to have any problems. I brought you what I brought you, you'll do what you can, and we'll be content together. He was not prepared for that response. <laughs> and then he said, it, it, there's a $20 deposit. I pulled out my wallet and said, do you take a debit card? He said, you young people. I said, thank you very much. He said, you young people, you, you don't carry cash anymore. So I pulled out a card and laid it on his desk. We finished our business and I left and as I was driving away I said, you know, Sunday morning I'm going to stand up and I'm going to tell people Christ brings complete victory and we owe Christ ultimate responsiveness and so we're supposed to be responsible for ourselves and do what we know to be right and speak the truth. So I went to the bank and I got $20 out of the bank and I brought it back. I walked in and he said, you didn't have to come back. I said, did you see the card? He said, yeah. I said, every Sunday morning I look at people and I tell them, be responsible for yourself. Do what's right. Do what you know to be true. He said, yeah, you had to come back, didn't you? I said, yeah. I didn't want to, but I had to. Wrapping presents at some other place. Singing the songs of Christ's birth with people who might not 
have another visit with those who are likely not able to be here on Christmas Eve. Setting aside time to pray as part of the first family. On a Wednesday evening, these are opportunities to show our ultimate responsiveness. One of, my, one of my favorite people and best friends in the whole world was Dwight Peterson. He's finished his course in faith. He's joined the church triumphant. He is in the resurrection to eternal life. I met, I met, I met Dwight in New Testament class. He was, he was one of the, the preceptors, they called it. Um, we used to call them teaching assistants at the State University. And, and, and when he was in high school, his senior year, he was on a plane trip with a band, and, and he was struck with, with a disease that paralyzed him completely from the neck down. All of a sudden, he got on the plane, and he had to be carried off the plane. And eventually, he gained the use of his upper body back, so he was in a wheelchair. You'd, you'd, you'd never know it. He was still larger than life simply because of his personality and his presence. Well, we got to be good friends. They gave him an office down at the end of the hall from, from where I worked in the copy room. And, and we would play tag with sticky notes. My friend Craig and I, one day when, when Dwight was out on vacation, we went and tagged his office. I mean, not just a note on the door. We worked in the copy room, so we had keys to the kingdom. I mean, to the building, not the kingdom. And, and we tagged, I mean, he, he, we, we were talking years later, he said, you know, I opened a book and I found one of your notes. <laughs> we tagged his whole office with sticky notes. He won, though. I got home for, for Thanksgiving or Christmas break that year, and there were letters from people I didn't know from all across the nation. They simply said, Dear John, tag DNP, Dwight Norman Peterson. A great, a great guy. He was a professor at a, of New Testament at a university in Pennsylvania. And years and years, because of the size of his body, years and years in a wheelchair um, brought about an infection in his pelvis that was incurable. And he was put on hospice care. And that same month, he planned his life celebration. And he lived longer on hospice than anybody expected. And, and this group that, that does these video interviews, this group called The Work of the People, found Dwight. And, and they, they interviewed him, and they, they asked him in, 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 this, in this one short segment called Why I Love Jesus, they asked Dwight, what do you know to be true? And Dwight said, I know to be true that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a poor child, and he was called by God to do things, to travel, to heal, to speak, to tell the truth. And I know to be true that Jesus died on the cross for me and for the world 
and he was raised from the dead three days later and he ascended into heaven where he sits on the right hand of the Father interceding for me and for the world. And he'll come again and get us. I know these things to be true and I'm grateful you asked. In Christ's complete victory and our ultimate responsiveness, we might ask one another and the city, what do you know to be true? Because it's likely when, when they tell us, they might ask us, what do you know to be true? And we can respond as Dwight did, I know to be true that Jesus died on a cross for me and for the world and he was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for me and for the world. Then the interviewer asked Dwight, why do you love Jesus? Dwight grinned. And he said, I love Jesus because my mother taught me to. I love Jesus because I see his grace in many, many people. I love Jesus because he sent Margaret to me, his wife. I love Jesus because, because my son has a hard head and is a really neat kid. How many can say that about their sons or their daughters? I love Jesus because my parents don't want me to die, but they accept that I will. I love Jesus because my brother and sister travel regularly from Chicago to visit their dying brother. I love Jesus because the sky is blue. I love Jesus because of the flowers that were on the plant right outside the window. I love Jesus because I've been able to be alive, and I love Jesus because I am dying. Why do you love Jesus? Is a question that we might ask ourselves and one another as we prepare to love this city with the heart of Christ. As King, Christ brings complete victory and invites us to ultimate responsiveness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.lovebeaumont.com.